0: You're listening to the Shoreline Community Church Podcast. For more information, check out our website at www.shorelinecc.com. If you have your Bibles today, I'd like to invite you to open it up and look at the book of Mark. The book of Mark, that's in the New Testament. And uh, we're going to look at some verses there in chapter 1. Chapter 1. But as you're turning there, I want to highlight one of my favorite authors One of my favorite authors of all time is A.W. Tozer. How many of you have heard of him? And his classic book, Knowledge of the Holy, he has a line in there that has continued just to ring in my spirit. And what he says in that, he says, what comes into our minds when we think about God is the most important thing about us. I want you to hear that again. What comes into our minds when we think about God is the most important thing about us. See, what A.W. Tozer is recognizing is he's recognizing the importance of our worldview, the lens through which we see things. So how we view our world, and particularly of importance, is how we view God. It determines everything, doesn't it? How we see things is so important. And that's especially challenging because if you think back to your 8th grade biology, how many volunteer sciences do we have out there? You, like me, you enjoy science. In 8th grade, I learned that we actually see things upside down. Do you remember that? French philosopher, mathematician, and scientist Rene Descartes discovered that through the process of refraction through a convex lens, images are actually flipped upside down. So when we are looking at something, as we see illustrated here, it's actually smaller and turned upside down. Did you know that? Did you remember that? There will be a test later, so make sure you make a note of this, okay? So then why don't we see things upside down? How do we compensate for this reality that's happened. Well, the reason why we don't see things upside down is because of the power of our brain. See, our brain knows the way that things should be, so our brain compensates for this, and it takes all of this raw data, all of this information, and it makes it into what we already know to be true, and it turns it right side up. Isn't it amazing? And so when I think about this, I think about how it says that we are to what? We're to have a renewed mind, a transformed mind. Because spiritually, we do this, don't we? Because just like we have this physical lens in our eye, oftentimes for us, since we are all born into sin, right? I'm, we're all sinners here. I'm the chief of, of sinners. That's been my testimony, but through the grace of God, he's saved me and forgiven me. But through our lens, we often see things upside down and things get flipped. And this is awfully manifested in we'll see God do something that doesn't make sense. Have you ever seen God do something in your life and you say, God, this doesn't make sense? Are you with me today? That does not make sense. Why would you do this? Why is that happening? That doesn't make sense. See, what's often happening is that we're actually seeing things upside down. And as it relates to God, it's important for us to look at him and to say, God, what are you doing? And I'd like to present to you exhibit A in what happened way back, over 2,000 years ago, because exhibit A of an upside-down thing that God did was the Apostle Peter. The Apostle Peter was exhibit A and upside-down because as we look at his life, the Apostle Peter, the one that Jesus looked at and said, you are the rock, and I will build my church on this, this didn't make sense to anybody. See, Peter was just a poor fisherman, a poor fisherman, and especially in that day, if you were a fisherman, you were at the bottom ladder. Now, I have a high respect for fishermen. I come from a family of fishermen in the Northeast Atlantic. We knew what f- good fish is, but in that day, for Jesus to call him out, it didn't make sense. See, G- Peter was the rock, and we know him as this great figure in the Bible that God used powerfully to, f- to bring about great change, But s- things didn't start out this way. See, when Peter started out, he was often confused. Peter was often even described as the foil in the story. Have you heard about that literary technique where you create this foil? They're often like the blundering idiot that makes the key hero look good. This was Peter. Peter was the one who was always making mistakes. He was always jumping out. He was irrational. He was emotional. He was letting his emotions lead him in so many ways. But yet Jesus looked at him and said, Peter, you're mine. I'm calling you out. And so as we look at the life of Peter through the book of Mark, my prayer is that you would see yourself in this story. How many of you have been the foil in the story at times? Well, I'm glad I could mess up to make you look good. My prayer is that you would see yourself, and you would see how God takes something that may seem the very opposite, may seem like a bad decision. And how he flips it right side up and he uses it to bring glory to him and to transform us. How many of you are ready to be transformed by God's word today? Father, transform us. Lord, where our lenses need correction, may you come in with your Holy Spirit and just cleanse them. Make them clean. Help us to see things that don't make sense to us, Lord. Help us to see what you're doing as we trust in you and as we surrender to you. We give it all to you now in your name. And everyone said together? Amen, amen, amen. So let's look at the story today. We're looking at Mark chapter 1, focusing in on verses 16 through 18. 16 through 18. Would you read this with me? Let's read together. One day, as Jesus was walking along the shore of the Sea of Galilee, he saw Simon, that's Peter, and his brother Andrew, throwing a net into the water. For they fished for a living. Jesus called out to them, Come, Follow me, and I will show you how to fish for people. And they left their nets at once and followed him. Between now and Easter, I want to invite you to join me on this journey as we look at this life of Peter and say, God, what would you say to me? What would you speak to me? Have you ever looked in the mirror and just had this inward prayer of, God, I don't know what you can do with me. I feel like I've failed so many times. I feel like there are so many things that I misunderstand. My prayer is that you would see this example that Jesus has given us on what can happen when you allow the Lord to come in and cleanse your lenses, to speak to us, to take away our doubt, our insecurity. Say, Lord, do your work in me so that I can see things through a renewed mind flipped right up. Are you ready? Are you ready? So this story begins with a call, and I began here intentionally, because as we look at the call that Jesus did, we see a great example of how things are flipped upside down. Because, see, the call, Jesus is going to people who are known as outsiders of that day. Jesus was going to people who were known as outsiders, and and he began with the outsiders, because if you read through the story, you'll often see that the insiders of that day often missed it. See, Jesus is going to the outsiders. We often try to go to the insiders, those who have influence, but he's going to the outside because the outsiders often missed it. And that's one of the key things that we see through the gospel. When we look through the gospels, we see time and time again how people missed what God was trying to say. These insiders, Insiders were often people like the religious leaders of that day and even Jesus' own family. Have you ever experienced that where you're talking to your family and they're going, we don't know what you're saying. We can't see what's going on. How many of you have experienced that? Welcome to fatherhood, okay? You're speaking it and they don't see it. Insiders often miss it because they have these ideas built up in their mind of what it's supposed to be. So when something comes along that's different, it just doesn't compute in our mind, But when you look at the gospel, the people who typically were the early adopters, those who got it, they were those who were considered the outsiders. And back in first century, those who were considered outsiders were often the Gentiles of that day. Women were considered to be outsiders of that day. And those who were classified as unclean Jews. These were Jews that they didn't follow all the laws. They didn't follow all the rules. They weren't on the inside of it. These were the outsiders, and these were the people that Jesus often identified with, the ones that he went to. As a matter of fact, throughout the book of Mark, Jesus is often described as an outsider. Now, I'm trying very careful in my Canadian not to say out, okay? That's what my mom says. So, Jesus was often considered an outsider, And as we look at his plan for discipleship, going to the outside, having this flipped up down world, he went and he called Peter to be a disciple by walking to the outside. See, this is upside down in that culture, because see, rabbis, and Jesus was often called rabbi, they didn't go and seek out their disciples. If you want to be a disciple of a rabbi, you went to them, you sought them out, See, first century discipleship was something that was earned. It's something that it was reserved for the smartest and the brightest, most promising young men who measured up to the standard. See, these were young men who by the age of five, they, had all, they were already in the local synagogue, they were learning Hebrew, and they had already memorized the Torah. Okay, By the age of five, I was still working on Psalm 23, and I felt pretty good to get that lollipop when I got that done. By the time of their bar mitzvah at age 13, they will have memorized all of the Hebrew scriptures of that day. See, to be a disciple, you were somebody that you were showing great promise because the rabbi did not want to waste his time with somebody who didn't follow through. So, for you to be picked, you had to have great promise. You've done all these things you were supposed to do so you could make the most of the rabbi's time because the rabbi was often known by the disciples. So, this person did not want to spoil their. Good name by wasting it on somebody like me who didn't measure up. See, in other words, for a rabbi to take you on, there had to be evidence. Because a rabbi is not going to risk failure. And then comes Jesus, and Jesus flips this all the way upside down. And aren't you thankful for that? How many of you are like me, you wouldn't have made that cut, okay? See, Jesus, he doesn't see people as they are, We judge people by how they are today. Jesus views people by not what you can make of yourself, but what he can make of you. So when Jesus is looking at you, he's not seeing just simple Dwayne, but he's saying, Dwayne, if you'll surrender your life to me, here's what I can make of you. Here's what I can do of you. And this is totally upside down. And we see this exemplified in the life of Peter because fishermen in Jesus' day, they were poor, they were uneducated, they were lower class, and particularly people who were not careful in their observance of the law. And this is his first disciple that he picked. It's totally upside down. And Jesus went to them, and he went to Peter while he was fishing. He didn't approach him on the side, but he went where he knew he would be, walking alongside the Sea of Galilee, and he called him out, and he even used Peter's language. He said, Peter, you want to learn how to catch men? Then drop your net, and I'll teach you how to be fishers of men. He used his language. Peter didn't have to learn a special language to get inside of a club or to be accepted. Jesus went to him and said, I see you. I see what you can be. I'm going to use your language to communicate to you here. Peter, are you willing to follow me? See, Jesus was seeking those who would never have sought him. Peter had no aspirations of being a disciple. But we need to be careful because just because Jesus comes and he goes to the outside, and he uses the language to speak to us, it doesn't mean that he's willing to compromise the call. Because the call is still a big ask. See, he didn't go to Peter, and he said, Hey, Peter, you know, I'm getting this informational meeting together. There's going to be some coffee. There's going to be some scones there. And just come come and try it out. I'm doing this new thing called discipleship. Maybe you've heard of it. It's going to be a little bit different. But no commitment, just try it. See, Jesus went to him, and he said, Peter, I want you to follow me. Drop your net. That's a pretty big ask for a married man, isn't it? Someone who's trying to support their family. Poor, uneducated, this is all they have. And Jesus says, drop it. But see, the call is big because the destination is big. Because what's the destination? It's Jesus. See, he was inviting Peter into this life transformative, not seeing him for where he is, but where he can be. But there's a lot of transformation that needs to take place. There's a lot of transformation that needs to take place in my life. So, Jesus, he invites me. The call is big, but it's never compromised. It's never compromised because the destination is Jesus. And this is why the answer is so important. The answer is so important to this call. Because the answer, it positions us to respond. It positions us to walk into this life that Jesus is calling us to. And we see here in Mark 1 that Peter was quick to answer. Some versions use the word immediately. So when Jesus called Peter, he immediately dropped his net. Fishermen don't do that. Fishermen cast their nets and they hold on to bring the fish in. He let his net go and he immediately followed Jesus. Jesus. Now, how could Peter do this? How could Peter do this? That's like somebody walking into your job, wherever you are, and saying, quit your job. Now, some of you, you may be like, that's all I need, I'm ready to quit. (laughs) But if that's your only provision and you have mouths to feed, that's not something you just let go of easily, is it? See, there was something going on here. When Jesus stepped into Peter's life, Peter recognized the authority that Jesus had. And many commentators, as they look at this, they compare it to somebody being summoned. Somebody who has authority and, and says, I am summoning you. I am calling you to be my disciple. You need to come, and you need to come now. And Peter responds to that authority. There was quick obedience. Peter's quick obedience, like our level of obedience, it reveals our view of Jesus. It reveals our view of everybody, doesn't it? Are there people in your life that when they speak, you're like, yes, I'm there, and there's people when they speak, you're like, you know, I need to think about this a minute because they don't have the authority. Peter recognized this, and part of the reason why he recognized it was because this was not the first time that Peter saw Jesus. Do you remember the first time Peter saw Jesus? It was with John the Baptist. How many of you have heard of John the Baptist? Right? John the Baptist, another outsider, another outsider. If there ever was one. Okay? The first time that Peter saw Jesus that we have recorded in Scripture was when he was with John the Baptist. And this was a monumental, life changing event for him. Because, see, this is where Jesus renamed him from Simon to Peter. And what does Peter mean? Rock. Now, was Jesus speaking to his past or to the future he was leading him in? Definitely the future. <laughs> Because when you look at the life of Peter, there were very few things in the beginning that made you think, this is a rock I can stand on. If you were standing on Peter in the beginning, it would be like, dude, you need to chill out a little bit. You need to calm down a little bit. Very impetuous. But this is where Jesus, he saw Peter, and the Bible talks about when he says it looked at him, it says that he looked intently at him. Now, this is a look of somebody who looks at you, and they're not just glancing at you, but they're looking intently at you. They're sizing you up. And then they're speaking what they observe. And when Jesus did that to Peter, he said, You're no longer Simon, but I'm now calling you Peter, which means rock. The rock I'm going to build my church upon. Have you ever experienced a look like that where somebody looked at you and they call you out to what God's calling you to? And this is Jesus, the promised Messiah, looking at you, sizing you up, and he speaks that into your life. You are a rock. You are a rock. Because see, again, when Jesus names you, he's speaking to the potential What do we focus on? Today. And when we don't like what happens today, what do we focus on? The past. We go, This is all my fault. I'm in this position today because of what I did yesterday. There's no way that I could do this. I wish I could do that, but I can't because I'm this or I'm that. I want to remind you there are two voices in this world there's the voice of God, and there's the voice of the enemy. You need to recognize when someone is talking about your present and pointing to your past to shame you and to keep you from following God. Is that the voice of God? No. See, God will point things out, but he points it out to correct and to heal and to say, this is the future I'm calling you into. So Peter, get up. Get up. Look where I'm calling you. Here's your name. I'm going to change your name from Simon to Peter because I want you to know you're a rock, man. I've made you to be a rock. This is who you are, and this is why our answer is so important, because our answer, it reveals how we view Jesus, and also the realization of how Jesus sees us. So when Jesus speaks to us, our response needs to be, speak, Lord, your servant is listening. Whatever you have to say, I'm ready to go. I don't see it now, but I see you, and that's enough. Is it enough to see Jesus? If you don't think it is, read through the Bible and see what happens when people see him and they follow him. You just see this course correction in people's lives. The lost were found. You see all these upside down things happening that don't make sense. But they saw Jesus and they said, yes, I believe you're the Lord. I'm going to follow you. And this is what Peter did. See, there was no question. A lot of times we also see in Scripture that when Jesus called them, because who is Jesus calling? Everybody he's calling all of you, he's calling everybody, but there were those that when Jesus called them because he never compromises the call, he opens the call to everybody, but he never compromises. There were many people that said, well, Jesus, I need to take care of this first, I need to take care of this first, I need to go off and do that, and you know, I got some stuff in my life I need to take care of, so let me go clean this up, and why don't we touch base in a year and see what happens. Is that the call of Jesus? No. No. Because here's the thing, you can't handle all the stuff you got to fix. I can't handle all the stuff i got to fix. When Jesus is calling you into this relationship, he is calling you into him. He is calling you into what he wants to do with you. We can't fix everything. But when Jesus calls, he say, I'm going to call you, and I'm going to equip, and if I call you, you don't determine if you're ready or not. I determine if you're ready or not. So if you're hearing the voice of God, do you know what he's saying? He's saying you're ready. He's saying you're ready. He's not saying you're perfect. But he's saying you're ready. He's saying follow me. Follow me. Does Jesus think things through? Yes. Do you think things through? So whose voice should you trust? He's thought this through. He sees everything. He knows everything about you. He knows everything about all of us. He knows the whole world because he's got the whole world right? He knows it all. So when he calls, he started through. We need to lean into that voice. See, we continually fall into this trap of sometimes thinking that we're not qualified. How many of you ever felt unqualified, right? That's why songs that talk about how bad you are are so important. You want a top 10 song? Write a song about how bad you are. Because we all have that disease in us. We feel disqualified. But do you know what the qualification is for a disciple? It's one word. Follow. Well, Jesus is good, too. <laughs> Two words. Follow Jesus. <laughs> the qualification is follow. Because who's called? Everybody's called. You're all called. He made you. He breathed into you. He made you a masterpiece. You're all called. The qualification is follow. Follow. See, our answer enables us to receive our qualification. How cool is that? It's a big call. But all we have to do is say yes and surrender. You are my Lord. It's called to everybody. See, Jesus is not worried about your resume. How many of you have ever been worried about your resume for a job? You're like, man, I need this job. And you get it to look good, and you get some friends out, and they dust off your resume, and they start putting in all these things, and you think about the job, and, you know, this would look good. This would help me get the job. You ever done that before? Because you need that job. But see, Jesus, he's not worried about your resume because who's going to build your resume? Jesus is. And he knows you, so you can't lie about it or fudge about it. That only makes it worse. See, as it relates to Jesus, and as we look even in this series of just living life upside down, we would never put on a resume, Dwayne is weak. But what does Jesus say to that? He says, Dwayne, well, when you're weak, I am? I would say, Dwayne is poor. Jesus says, perfect, because when you're poor, I am rich. You see what I'm saying? It's that dependence on Jesus. It's that upside down world. Anyone who lacks wisdom, you ask God. The beginning of wisdom is the fear of God. It's that understanding that you know everything, not me. You know everything, not me. And when we're lonely, who's a friend that sticks closer than a brother? And that's closer than the good brother, not the rotten brother who takes everything from you. This is the good brother, the good brother, okay? This was my path this was my path. When Jesus called me, I didn't know what I was doing, okay? I was this little teenager kid up in northeastern Canada, and I felt felt like God called me. How many of you have ever been there? You feel like God's called you, and he was calling me to go and study at a university in America. That's all of you. I grew up in northeastern Canada, now today, when kids look at going to school, I mean, there's, resume, there's uh, videos online, there's school trips that happen. I took Riley on a school trip to go check it out and see what's going on. There's all this information. You can talk to people who have been there. My family story, last of eight kids, I was one of only a couple to graduate high school. My dad in the fourth grade, his mom died, and he had to quit school as the eldest child so he could go cut down wood to help feed the family. So when it came to education, I didn't have a whole lot of background. He encouraged me, but didn't really know the story. And even as it related to going to school, I had to do something like send off and ask for a catalog. How many of you ever heard of catalog? Not Sears catalog, but this amazing thing. And they sent me this university, Van University College catalog. And I was like, wow, could I ever go to a school like that? And I walked in a path of just saying, you know, God, could this be true? Could this be something you, you were calling me to? And I didn't walk perfect, but I said enough yeses. You ever been there? You haven't been perfect, but you've said enough yeses. So I went off to university, and I, and I got there. And someone showed me this thing called, they said, oh, you're from Eastern Canada. You've, 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 you've probably never seen this. And they took me in the bathroom, and they flushed the toilet. Have you ever seen that before? That's amazing. <laughs> We went on to be good friends in spite of that. I got him back. I'm not going to tell you how, but I got him back. I hope Jesus is okay with it. We walked out. So I, I go through university. The whole time there, I'm like, God, every day I'm here is a miracle. That's awesome. And then going through the process, studying music, studying the Bible, I hear about this thing called a worship pastor, a music pastor. Never heard of that in my life. Traveling for the school, saw a lot of worship pastors, And said, God, please don't ever make me a worship pastor. (laughs) Spent 25 years as a worship pastor. Long story 25 years as a worship pastor, and I loved it. I was a worship pastor here until they fired me, made me lead pastor, okay? But walking it through, became a worship pastor 25 years. Never thought about it, never dreamed about it. When I saw it, I'm like, I don't want to do it. And then God changed my heart, and I loved it. And in that path, God began putting seeds in my heart of being a pastor. I'm like, God, no, I don't want to be a pastor. I even backed away from being licensed as a pastor for a while, but then I felt God was doing this change, and I, and I got my license, got my ordination. I'm like, yeah, but God, I don't want to be a lead pastor. And here, here I am, and I love it, and I love it. I feel so blessed. I feel privileged, not because of me. I died of the flesh, but it's Christ who lives within me. I say all that to say it's, my path was very diverse very diverse, and along the way, a lot of insecurity, a lot of work that God had to do in me, a lot of, God, I could never do that, I don't ever want to do that, and then God positioned me and put me in a place that I couldn't imagine not being in, because I love it so much. Have you ever been there? Have you ever been on that path? It begins by saying yes, because our qualification, it doesn't come from where we come from, but it comes from who we have gone to, which is Jesus, and saying, Jesus, here I am, I'm your boy, I'm or I'm, I'm your girl. I'm following you. I'll say yes, I don't understand, but I need you. I need you. Because see, to walk this path, we had to be willing to do what Peter did. What did Peter do? He immediately dropped his net. I had to be willing to let go of all my friends. I had to be willing to let go of a lot of things. I didn't know how I was going to pay for school. But along the step, God kept providing. Step by step by step by step. It's a yes. But we need to be willing, like Peter did, to drop it and to follow the path. Because the upside down part of the path that Jesus brings us on is that the path to success is often through failure. How about that? How many of you have ever started a path, and along this way you're like, I hope I fail? I hope I fail. We need to realize that failure, when we're following God, it leads to our greatest success. See, this is the life of Peter. We struggle with failure because we never want to lose. Everyone enters a competition to win. But when we look at Peter, we see that his biggest failures turn into his greatest wins. See, Peter was somebody that as he walked this out, he was very vulnerable and he was very honest, and he shared his failures. When we look at the Gospels, and we look through the Gospels, we see that many of the other apostles, many of the other disciples, they're only mentioned at max 20 times. John the Beloved, the one who was touted as Jesus' favorite disciple 20 times. Do you know how many times Peter's mentioned? Over 120 times. And most of it is about his failures. And you know who talked about his failures more than Anybody? Peter. Peter did. Because he recognized, when I am weak, that I am strong. He also recognized that in coming through, that discipleship following Christ is about as you are going. So in other words, when we are disciples of Christ, it is on-the-job training. It is on-the-job training. And I love that the Bible includes all of this. See, most historic figures— they only put the nice things out, right? Have you ever read like this biography of somebody or you've, look, you've read history and everything that it talks about them is all the good stuff, all the good stuff. Not with Peter. You've got to dig deep to get to the good stuff. Because Peter found that as he was honest and vulnerable about his own failings, that Christ was glorified. I was this, but look what Jesus did to me. I was this, but look what Jesus did. Can you believe I cut that guy's ear off? And then Jesus healed it and he said, Put away your sword. I'm talking about Peter. Put away your sword. That's not the way we're going to do it. Do you think Peter learned a great lesson that day? It's in our failures. It's in our weakness that we are made strong. It's that on-the-job training, because the thing is, you're going to make mistakes. I've made a lot of mistakes. So it's not, are you going to make mistakes as you're being discipled? The question is, who's there with you when you make the mistake? Because so many people, they make a mistake, and they run from God, and they hide. But Jesus, in his discipleship training, he's saying, when you make a mistake, run to me. Come to me, and let me teach you. Let me show you what's going on. Let me empower you. This is why the key aspect of discipleship is proximity. Proximity. See, discipleship is all about proximity to Jesus. This is why the qualification is what? Follow. Because Jesus is saying, you follow me, you be with me, you listen to me, we'll take care of it all. We will transform you. I'll bring you from Simon to Peter, which means rock. See, those who were with disciples, they were the ones who were, what, John 15, where Jesus is talking about abiding in Christ. I am the vine, you are the branches. Those who abide in me. It's being with me, it's living with me. I think sometimes we forget that's what discipleship is. It's abiding in Christ, being transformed by Christ in every situation, in every failure, in every temptation. I will run to Jesus I will abide in him and allow him to disciple me. This is why Jeff Vanderstel, he describes discipleship as this, as it, it is the ongoing process of submitting all of your life to Jesus and seeing him saturate your entire life and your world with his presence. It's that ongoing process. How often do you need Jesus? Always. See, discipleship is that direct dependence. You know, where they had this saying back in the first century, may the dust of the rabbi be on you. What that meant is that you were following them so close that the dust that was being kicked up from their feet was on you. That often happened when I worked alongside my dad. If my dad was working on the car and there was grease, there was grease on me. If my dad was fishing, there was fish guts all over me. Whatever was going on, whatever my dad ate, guess who also ate that? It's that proximity to Jesus coming in. It's that manna principle. You know what what I mean by the manna principle? Looking back at Exodus 15, when the Israelites were going through the wilderness, God gave them food every day, but they couldn't hoard it. They'd want to hoard it and take it and take enough for the week, but it would rot. See, sometimes when we start out with Jesus, we want to to go to Jesus, and we want to treat it like we're going to Costco, right? And there's a snowstorm coming. We're like, all right, Jesus, load my cart up. I want to take everything right now, everything I need, all the toilet paper I need. I want to get all the milk I need, all the bread I need. Even those samples that they give out, just load it up. That's not how it works. Jesus says we'll start with one and then we'll go to two. Because we're not made to be hoarders. We're made to be people who abide with Christ moment by moment. Because as much as we want to load our cart up, the reality is most of that stuff's going to rot. And we're going to find this giant bag of lettuce stuffed in the back of the fridge that we didn't even know we had and now it's rotting. And Jesus is saying, no, I'm I'm the vine, you're the branch. Stay connected to me, that dependence, because in that going back to Jesus, moment by moment, with every question, when it makes sense, when it doesn't make sense, when things seem flipped upside down, going and talking to him transforms us. Being in the moment transforms us. When we're at work, when we're at home, when we're talking to somebody. When our kids come and talk to us, our conversation needs to be, "Okay, Jesus, what would you say through me right now? When someone is speaking to you, Jesus, what would you have me hear right now? What do I need to receive? This is the ongoing process. This is that manna principle. Just enough for today. Because you don't even know what you need tomorrow. You just keep saying yes. 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 Because Jesus knows. See, proximity to Jesus, it doesn't mean perfection. And I think that's where a lot of people get confused. They think they come to Jesus... Jesus is going to make them perfect. Have you ever heard heard anybody say, man, I saw that Christian do a bad thing over there. That's all messed up. And they were confused. Do Christians make mistakes? If you're a Christian here today and you've made a mistake, please raise your hand. Show everybody. Some of you are like... We make mistakes because am I perfect? No. I read the Bible a lot. I read commentaries a lot. I read a lot of books about Jesus. I pray. I do all those things. Am I perfect? No. See, when we come to Christ, he makes us perfect in him, meaning that he forgives our sin. He says, yes, now you're a disciple. You're walking with me. But the Bible also talks about how we are in this perfecting work. When you add ing onto perfect, that means that you're still in process, man. You are practicing we're in that process of walking it out. This is why Peter so, so beautifully illustrates this. In the beginning, fishermen, uneducated, on the outside, very impetuous, very emotional. When you read through the life of Peter, you see how he struggled. You see how he was the one always asking questions. What's going on? And don't forget, Peter is the one that when Jesus needed him the most... He fell asleep. He fell asleep. Jesus came back again. Can you guys stay awake? This is important. He fell asleep. And then maybe guilt, I don't know what happened, but then when the soldier came from Jesus, Peter pulls his sword and he cuts his ear off. (laughs) And Jesus is going to Peter. This is not how we do it. This was Peter's beginning. But do you know how Peter ended? Peter was in charge of the disciples. Peter led the early church. In Acts, it talks about how when Peter preached, the one very emotional, very impetuous, and all that he does, often you didn't know what Peter was going to do. You see all these examples of what didn't happen. In the book of Acts, it records that when Peter spoke, people were amazed The religious leaders were amazed. Those listening were amazed. They're like, how can he speak with that? We know he's not educated. He's in the perfecting work of God in his life. He kept saying, yes, Lord. Peter's the one who denied him three times, and Jesus told him. Jesus said, Peter, you're going to deny me three times. No, Lord. I'm never going to do that. And he even put a time limit on it. He said, before the cock crows, You will deny me three times. And what did Peter do? He denied him once. Denied him twice. See, I'd like to think after twice, I'm like, I'm not doing three times. But I gotta tell you, I would have probably been there right with Peter and three times denied Christ. And Jesus didn't reject him. Are we that gracious in our walk? See, this is the call to discipleship. This is the call to that upside down world where we don't define people by where they've been or what they are, but we define them by Jesus, what do you see? Jesus, what do you want to do? What do you want to do in this life? We need to understand that our beginning doesn't define us. Because, like me, we all began in sin, and our lens got so cloudy. It's how we finish the race, it's how we finish the race receiving the call having that quick obedience yes 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 and allowing that perfecting work to come alive in us allowing that perfecting work it's going to be a lot of switchbacks but jesus will get us there amen amen would you stand with me this morning as we just take a moment to respond to this word of god today As we move forward between now and Easter, looking at this upside down world, I believe the Lord is wanting to correct our lenses. He's wanting to correct us. And as we walk this out, as we respond, I think one of the first questions that we ask ourselves is Jesus, am I an outsider or am I an insider? (laughs) Where am I today? See, there were many who thought they were on the inside, but they were on the outside. They're saying, I don't get it. How can that be the Messiah? Even his own family. Are you an outsider or an insider? And a lot of times you'll learn this by the group that you're you're the most critical of. Who are you the most critical of? Second question. What words is Jesus using to describe you today? This is a soul issue. You've heard me say before, I was sitting with a friend one time and she asked me how things were going and I began to use some negative words about myself. You ever been there? Right? And I even made a joke about it, and made everybody laugh because I thought that would be okay and it wouldn't seem serious. But she leaned across the table and she said, Duane, I want you to know that's not how, Dwayne, that's not how God speaks about you. So I'd like like for you just to close your eyes and just, in this moment, just speak to the Lord and say, Lord, what words do you use for me? Because right now the Lord is looking at you intently. And he's looking to speak to you if you will listen to him. Calling you to him. He wants you to follow him. He's inviting you to discipleship. For some of you today, that word that Jesus may be calling to you is follow me. You're not following me. You need to follow me. To some of you, the word that Jesus may be speaking to you today is I'm calling you out in boldness. I want you to be a rock. I've called you to be a rock, and you're waffling. Will you follow me on this path? What are those words? If you open your heart, Jesus is going to speak to you right now. And you may need to write it down. What are the words you're calling over my kids? How do you see my kids? How can I help them, Lord? What words are you calling over my family? What are those words that you would speak to me in this moment, Jesus? And write them down. Write them down. How is your proximity to Jesus? Are you abiding in him or do you reject him when things don't go the way you want it to let's take a moment here today to tune our hearts to the lord to listen and as you do that i want to invite our prayer team to go around the side and if if you're not following jesus man this is a great time to step out he's calling you by name if you will listen No one who runs to Jesus is perfect, but they recognize who he is. Receive that grace from the Lord today. Or maybe you want to go to the prayer team and say, you know, I'm having a hard time hearing. Whatever it is, let's pray with someone. Go to the prayer walls. Turn to your neighbor. Or maybe you just want to sit in quiet contemplation and say, speak, Lord. Your servant's listening. Let's open our hearts and our ears to Jesus, who is looking intently at you right now. Let's hear his voice, and let's, let's respond to that.